back in in our series Hope and Prophecy and as we have been looking at the end times eschatology and uh, I don't know uh, how long we'll continue this series but we'll probably continue uh, into the new year uh, as the Lord would allow and uh, I do have a, a chart that I can uh, make some copies of and maybe make available uh, I made it years ago and it's just a rough uh, chart timeline and it's not as uh, nice as uh, these or like the one on the screen behind me but it might be of, of help to you if you'd like one I can make those available and print a few copies of those and have those in the back uh, for us to to take and there's scripture with it uh, one thing I, I'm a little disappointed with with this chart is there's not the scripture to go with it now there is a lot of scripture and various passages and we'll uh, dive back in tonight and, and look at some uh, various passages. But we were in Revelation chapter 5. If you want to turn back to Revelation 5, you're welcome to do so. But for quick uh, review, uh, once again, we will be looking at Daniel's 70th week, the tribulation, and of course the key figure, uh, besides of course Jesus Christ being uh, the greatest uh, figure, greatest person uh, in Daniel's 70th week. But the Antichrist is obviously a key figure in the tribulation as well. And so we've looked at him, and I need to plug in the, the clicker here, and once again uh, point to the toes of this image as uh, we looked at last week just for reference. It's not specifically stated on this chart, and I realize the pulpit might be, might be in the way a little bit, but this is often referenced as the revived Roman Empire, those ten toes representing those ten kings, out of which there will be three and then the one, uh, the Antichrist. And so we looked, at, we looked primarily last week at the description of the Antichrist. And we saw that he is identified in Daniel 7 and verse 8 as the little horn. And then in Daniel 8 and verse 23 as the king of fierce countenance. And then in Daniel 11 and verse 36, the willful king. And then in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, verse 3, the man of sin and son of perdition. And we often have referred to him or know him identified as the title, the beast, in Revelation 13. And we spent some time last week, we went through some of these. We read several verses from Revelation 13 and that is where we see a description of the beast and his particular uh, role in the world and his uh, leadership. And that's where we'll go back to tonight once again. And for sake of review, we won't spend a lot of time here. But we go to Daniel 2, we see the revived Roman Empire, those ten toes representing those ten nations, a ten-nation confederacy out of which the Antichrist will rise up. There are are three horns, and then there's the one horn, and the one horn being the Antichrist. And this is where there's a lot of speculation. I remember when the European Union was first coming together, there were people saying this is going to be the early stages of the revived Roman Empire out of which the Antichrist will come. And again, this is where people will speculate about the United States and the role of the United States. If this is a revived Roman Empire, if it has something to do with the European Union, where is the United States in all of this? I don't know. Uh, it, it could be that the United States is controlled by another country by that time. 
And that very well could be. I, I don't know. But nevertheless, he will rise to power by deception and flattery. This has been the hallmark of Satan from the very beginning when he was cast out of heaven and the pride and the deception. And we've looked at John 8 and verse 44 where Jesus uh, speaks about the devil and he calls him the father of lies and a murderer from the beginning. His lying and his deceiving is, is in order to murder, to destroy. And we see that throughout history. And we could go back, we won't look at all the passages, but clearly in Revelation 13 and these other passages, there is a manipulation, there's an exploitation, there's lies and deception and great flattery. And again, the world is being conditioned for this. It's just so obvious that in so many ways, the world is being dumbed down. In so many ways, the world is just being pulled along like a puppy on a leash, and there's a carrot before the horse, and in so many ways, there's such little discernment, even among church people, many churches, the ecumenical flavor of religious denominations now. We can go on and on with the examples. It's almost every day in the news that we see something else. And it really takes a sound mind, it really takes a discerning mind, the mind of Christ, to really help us see what is going on. Because if we are not having the mind of Christ, then it's so easy for us to just get caught up with the cultural wind and the waves that are sweeping across the land and across our culture. And we know better than to just ride the waves to go down the current of this culture. We know better. And yet so many believers want to try to have the best of both worlds, so to speak. And the Antichrist will step into a world conditioned for his flattery, for his deception, and then with the false prophet coming alongside and having this, I would, I'll just call it a new age spirit of ecumenical and a shallow, superficial spirituality, along with, in Revelation 13, signs and wonders. And again, no matter, or no, no wonder with the charismatic movement and everybody, it seems, wanting some sort of great experience and some vision and some uh, incredible spiritual, again, experience. This is what people are being conditioned to accept when the Antichrist and the false prophet come on the scene. And then we see that, again, false religion will be a tool of his deception. Revelation 17 speaks to the fact that the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and this is with the harlot of Babylon. And we see in Revelation 17 that the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. I did not spend a lot of time here last week, but this is the spirit of Antichrist that's in the world in the ecumenical flavor of much of religion, and it goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel and to the Babylonian uh, image, the 
the Nebuchadnezzar, the image, but it, it's, it's speaking to this man-centered, man-focused, we can overthrow God himself. The Tower of Babel is an example of man consolidating his resources, coming together with his ingenuity and his skills and his talents and his money and trying to build the tower unto God, and we are still that deluded in our thinking today. Now, we have a tower of technology. We have a tower of medical technology. And man is still trying to build a tower of Babel today. And it is this Babylonian harlotry. It's a spiritual adultery. I'm not trying to be too graphic here, but we understand enough about the nature of harlotry, prostitution, that what is now becoming mainstream in our culture is coming off of the red is coming out of the red light district. And the things that are now being normalized in our culture are coming out of the porn industry and the red light district and the harlotry and the prostitution industry and it's trying to be mainstreamed. Okay, think about this for a second. If Balenciaga can have an advertisement in pedophilia and it was tried to be pushed on the culture, and they went, oops, uh uh-oh, I guess we shouldn't have done that, but they were testing the limits, weren't they? This goes hand in hand. The sensuality and the immorality that is pervasive in our culture, it mirrors the spiritual adultery. It is preparing the world for the spiritual adultery. The sexual revolution and the manifestations of it and the consequences of it that we are still experiencing today. The mainstream of this perverse, immoral, wicked culture, it is the sensuality that will come right alongside the spiritual adultery. Because if we are beat down by the sensuality and the expressiveness that is nothing but perverted, then it's not going to be hard for the false prophet to come in and the Antichrist and to woo the world that is already prepared with the immorality and the licentiousness and the liberty that is offered by the entertainment industry and the media and the lust of the flesh and all that goes with it. It will be easy for the spiritual adultery to just step right in. To spiritualize immorality. To idolize immorality. Is it not unusual when there is a a cult, a false religion? Is it not unusual for there always to be immorality and some sort of theft money issue? Isn't it almost always without question 
when there is a cult or a false religion, when you get down to it and you dig a little deeper, there's almost always immorality, some sort of sexual license, as well as a stealing from the people, exploiting the people. Even, even among good churches where a man will fall into sin, he never falls into sin, but we use that term. It begins with small steps. The fall is actually the last thing. As you see a big limb on a tree fall, usually there's some sort of rot on the inside or a lack of a root that then results in the fall. So usually there are signs along the way. And so even where there are good churches and there are good men that fall into sin, there is something else going on already. Lack of accountability. There can be a power hunger, a power trip going on. And then where that man gets away from the word of God, there's immorality and often there is the hand of that leader in the till of the church many times. These things go hand in hand. I spent too much time there, but we, we really have to understand that say, this, this satanic propping up of the Antichrist and the false prophet is, it's, it's really not that hard for the Antichrist and the false prophet to step into the world and to have a one world government and one world religion when the world has been prepared with everything from the lack of education, the lack of critical thinking, the lack of discernment, to the immorality, the wickedness, the money issues, the stealing, and all that goes with it, and the ecumenical flavor of religion. It all goes hand in hand. So we talked about last week how he recovers from a severe wound. He will receive worship. I, I tend to think that there's an assassination attempt. I can't uh, be for sure on that. But he has some sort of wound and uh, unto death. Uh, we read there in Revelation 13. Well, I don't know for sure. It seems like it would be something along the lines of an assassination attempt. And it looks like he would not survive. It could all be faked. It could all be just made up. It could all just be a... Uh, a ruse uh, with a computer graphic design, CGI, I guess is what it's called. With all the technology, there's all kinds of things that can be put out there um, in, in the news and in the, the, the media. We know that the media is in the, the back pocket of uh, the most liberal, radical, leftist groups. So it's going to be nothing for CNN if it survives <laughs> or MSNBC or one of those other major news networks. It's going to be nothing for them to just go right along with the ruling class. They already are. So the Antichrist, the false prophet, are going to use the media, no doubt, to their advantage. And if there's actually a, a, what appears to be a fatal wound, I don't think that he actually dies. I don't think that's what Scripture is emphatically saying because I believe that life and death are in the hands of God. I don't think Satan has that power. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where Satan has the power to raise someone back up to life. Um, he, he has, again, flattery, deception as uh, his uh, way of, 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 of leadership. So surely with all the technology out there and all the computer graphics and CGI and whatever else with the news media and the way they cover up and pat each other on the back and, 
and help each other out, it's no, it's no wonder that it'll look like he's not going to survive, and then all of a sudden he comes walking out of the hospital, or there's a big press conference, and everybody sees him, and there's cheering, and there's clapping, and he uses that. The spin machine is working big time. And everything from even the rapture of the church. I, I think that the Antichrist is going to use the rapture of the church. He's going to have a spin machine about that. I believe he's going to, he's going to have to have some explanation for why all these people are gone. And he's going to even come up with some sort of conspiracy theory. Boy, there's a hundred and thousand <laughs> conspiracy theories out there about just about everything. And, uh, you know, I can just see him coming up with some uh, explanation uh, for why all these people disappeared. You know, they got zapped by the sun god or something. You know, climate change cost all... I mean, I don't know. I mean, just some random idea out there that he's going to use to his advantage. It'll come to worship. People will be looking for somebody like this. They will be so mesmerized with him. He will be everything that man ever wanted in his carnal, unsaved, unspiritual mind. This is the guy. This is exactly what we've been looking for. And don't we see that again in our culture today? You see these billionaires, these multimillionaires with power, and they have uh, authority, they have conglomerations of businesses and companies and media and entertainment, and on and on it goes, and technology, and they get almost larger than life. I could start naming some of the names. And some of them have some decency to them. Most of them are, are as corrupt as the day is long. But we're mesmerized by them. Oh, I wonder what so-and-so is doing today. I wonder what so-and-so said today. And they just basically wake up in the morning and, and burp, and they're on the headlines, right? You know, they're just, everything they do or say, it seems like, is on the headlines. we got to follow them around. What are they doing? And people are just mesmerized. The Antichrist, the false prophet, they're going to step right into that. And it's going to just appeal to them. And somehow, some way, this peace treaty with Israel will be signed. Not Daniel 9 and verse 27. Some measure of the sacrificial system will resume. How that will work with the Muslims and the Jews, I don't know. I'm not exactly sure. But there will be this uh, reinstallation of the sacrificial system. And the Jews, from what I understand in the news and what uh, I've seen, there's red heifers that have been delivered to Israel. There's transportation and various technologies that are already starting to come together, and I don't know all, uh, all the details of that. I don't follow that extremely closely, but I do try to keep up somewhat. But somehow he will make that happen. At the three-and-a-half-year mark of the tribulation, he will desecrate the temple with an idol, break the treaty with Israel, and persecute the Jews. And we spent a little bit of time on that last week. And then he will be killed at the Battle of Armageddon. We'll look at the Battle of Armageddon a little bit more later and then cast into the lake of fire, Revelation 12 and Revelation 19. And then we just quickly went through the seven seal judgments. I want us to go back, and I want us to look, and I don't want to get us bogged down or, or, or bored like we're in some seminary class. That's not my point. But we, we do need to go to Revelation 6. We read from Revelation 5, and I want us to go to Revelation 6. Revelation 6, and I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. Okay, so we're, we're talking about a scroll 
and the scroll inside, as it is un, unscrolled, <laughs> there are seals that have to be broken in order for the next layer to be unrolled. Okay? So there are seven of these seals. The first seal is peace, a white horse. This even corresponds with Matthew 24, verses 3 through 5. But Revelation 6 and verse 1, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, and one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Okay, But the white horse is symbolic of peace. So the conquering, the conquering is a bloodless conquering. That seems to correspond with the peace treaty with Israel. There is a relative peace for a short amount of time when the Antichrist comes into power. Okay? I believe that we as Christians will have some idea of what is going on and what is taking place, but understanding the imminence of the rapture, I'm not so sure that we will actually know who the Antichrist is or that he will be identified before we are taken up in the rapture. I tend to think that we'll be gone because then he'll turn and he'll use that to his advantage to spin his machine of power and control and he'll somehow come up with an explanation for why these people are gone. But I think that, again, we are able to discern some of the things that are going on in the world and can see certain things falling into place. So when he comes into power, there is probably going to be some sort of vote, some sort of consolidation, some sort of power control working among these ten nations. Three will be, and I don't know if it's the European Union or what it will be, but he is going to rise to power in a bloodless rise to this position of authority, of control in the world. And the false prophet will be working right alongside with him. I can only imagine there will be ecumenical services, whatever, with these different visions and signs, and people will be mesmerized by it. But the white horse symbolizes peace. So he conquers without violence and bloodshed. The second seal, though, specifically speaks to war. The red horse identifies or symbolic of blood, the bloodletting. Verse number 3, Revelation 6, And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. So there's a relative amount of peace. The covenant with Israel is signed, even Revelation, or excuse me, in Matthew 24, uh, verses 3 through 5, we even see uh, these uh, in this corresponding passage. We see this as well, Matthew 24, verse 3. And as, he sat down, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, 
When shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. This appears to be a description of the early days of the tribulation in Matthew 24. Now, this relative world peace has gone away as the Antichrist has come into power. And what else will man do but begin to fight amongst themselves? He has a one-world government. He has a one-world religion. But we know how it is. There is going to be arguments, power fights. There's going to be wars I, I, I don't know what all that's going to look like and who's all going to go against who, but I, I can only imagine various places around the world, civil war breaks out or a nation invades another nation and the Antichrist is going to be dealing with this and he's going to be looked to for solutions. The third seal. Uh, we didn't go to Daniel 11 for sake of time, but a reference to uh, the red horse there as well and the war in the early days of the tribulation. Third seal, economic collapse. The black horse. Revelation 6, in verse number 5, And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see, and I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see that thou hurt not the oil and the wine. So, This is where we can probably speculate fairly well that the Great Reset, if it doesn't happen before then, it's pretty close to what is described here in Revelation 6. Economic collapse. Now, what does the world look to to solve all the economic monetary problems of the world? The government. The government can, right? The government can mix it up with lies and make it all taste good. Some of you know what I'm referring to. I won't sing the song. But that's what the government is looked to. I mean, right now, is the government not trying to constantly pull the levers of the economy? Keynesian economics. We're living it. We're not living Adam Smith and... I was taught different economic systems. I've enjoyed going through the class with Chandler and learning about different economic systems. It's been very fascinating, uh, trying to keep up with some of the things he's learning in his economics class. But we are in Keynesian economics. And Keynesian economics is the government controls the lever of the economy. What do you think the Antichrist is going to do? Does this not correspond to the mark of the beast? The 666? Now, if you have 666 that shows up on your driver's license, you don't have to go back and ask for a new driver's license because you have 666 in your driver's license. I I was told, or I read somewhere that, I think it was the United Kingdom, they didn't sell license plates that had the number 666 on it because they thought it was bad luck. I'm not superstitious in that way. I even wonder if, like Dr. Shelton, if it's six numbers of six digits each, or six pairs of six, uh, 
So almost like a social security number that the entire world has a identification code. And we all get, we won't, because we won't sign the Mark of the Beast. We won't take the Mark of the Beast. We won't sign up for that godless. We'll be gone as believers anyway. We'll be in heaven. We'll be in glory, enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb. But the technology is there. I think I just heard in the news about barcodes being implanted in people's foreheads. Uh, it's not going to be anything for the mark of the beast to go in people's wrists or hand or, or the forehead. Barcodes are, are already everywhere. I mean, this all goes to if there's a great reset and the government takes control of the economy and the Antichrist is the head of the government, he is going to have all of the controls and the mark of the beast will allow you to buy or sell. And in this economic collapse, there is a mention there in verse 6 of a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Different commentators speculate or try to interpret that. But basically what that verse is saying is the most basic items that we need to cook, to prepare food, are going to be outrageously expensive. So, again, we won't go into all the details, but... The basic understanding is that the flour and the sugar, the basics that we go and we buy in bulk, you're going to stand in, people are going to stand in line for. They're going to be in short supply and they're going to be incredibly expensive. And where have we seen vestiges of that already? Have we not seen that in the USSR? In some of these communist countries where they wait in line to get a handout from the government to get the basics And this is going to be the world economy in the early days of the tribulation as the Antichrist takes over and the mark of the beast is going to put you in a line and determine whether you can buy or sell. And even the most basic things are going to be outrageously expensive. We think we have Biden, I mean inflation now. Think about what it's going to be under the Antichrist and the economic collapse. Let's go on. Fourth seal. 25% of the earth's population dies. This brings us down. Verse 7. The fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was Death. And hell followed with him, and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. 25%. We talked about it briefly last week. If there's 8 billion people, that's 2 billion, right? Dead. In a short amount of time. And it says that even beasts of the earth are responsible for some of the death. I don't know what that means. Does that mean the lions and the tigers and the bears turn on the population? They become possessed or spooked or whatever? I don't know. But there's the wars and there's reference to death and hell. There's reference to sword, to hunger. So there's going to be a measure of famine, of course, with the economic collapse. There's going to be famine. There's still going to be wars going on between countries or civil war. And two billion people are dead in a short amount of time early in the days of the tribulation. We haven't experienced anything like that yet in history. Fifth seal. 
That brings us down to verse number 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And we see there the, the, the reference then to the, the martyrdom of the saints. Who are these saints that are martyred? Okay. Now, this is where in the martyrdom, if the church is gone, then who are the martyrs? People who have not taken the mark of the beast. People who get saved after the rapture. We believe in a pre-tribulational view of the rapture. So there are people that are getting saved. The church is gone, but there are people that are getting saved. And then there is a martyrdom of those believers. If they don't take the mark of the beast, which if you take the, if you take the mark of the beast, you essentially are selling your soul to the devil. You have crossed that line of no return. You're beyond getting saved. That's pretty clear from Scripture. So who are the martyrs? Believers. They've not taken the mark of the beast, and there's a persecution. And we see that here in the fifth seal. The sixth seal, then, cosmic calamities. And we go down now to verse number 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll, when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every freeman hid themselves in the dens, and in the rocks, and the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Cosmic calamities. Meteors, meteorites. We see there in uh, verse number 12, the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. So there is eclipses, um, whatever the different types of astrological phenomenon, and there are apparently meteor, meteorite showers that are coming down through the atmosphere and hitting the earth. And if you've seen the meteorite over there in the cemetery in Rossville, and uh, we've been over there and taken some pictures. We were over at the Senior Saints, and uh, it's a pretty interesting sight. But for the, something like that to make it through the atmosphere and land, and think if that happened and something bigger than that is coming through the atmosphere by the hundreds and thousands and hitting the earth. Can you imagine the destruction? Homes and buildings, and people are hiding, it says, running into the caves, hiding from uh, these uh, meteorites or whatever is coming down, and they're even fearful of uh, the, the wrath of the Lamb. Uh, but it's, it's too late. It's too late for them. They've rejected... Christ, they've taken the mark of the beast, and now they are suffering under the judgment of God, even in cosmic calamities like we've never seen before. Literally, the sky is falling. 
And uh, it's not in a cartoonish way at all. So then we come down to the seventh seal. And we come over to chapter 8, we skip chapter 7. We'll come back to that, Lord willing, another time. But Revelation 8 and verse 1, And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Silence. Now, some of us are scared of silence. Some of us, we like to have some sort of noise going on in the background. I like to study with a little bit of noise. I did not like studying at the library. And even now, uh, when I study, I, I study um, many times where there's at least a little bit of some, some background noise, um, where I have a little bit of light music playing um, so that, I don't know what it is, but it helps me concentrate or something, but silence. And there is a deafening, convicting aspect to this silence. Now, I don't know about you, but you've probably been in a classroom and the teacher corrects a student in the classroom and they come down hard on them. And all of a sudden the class just goes, it's like all the air is sucked out of the room and everybody's like, or the student has said something disrespectful to the teacher and all the kids go, (gasps) and then it's like really quiet, waiting to see what the teacher is going to do, how the teacher is going to respond. It's almost like there's this silence throughout the heavens. And there are are commentators who believe this is where the midpoint of the tribulation is. And it's more than likely the case, okay? We could go to Matthew 24, we go to Luke 21, and we can cross-reference, and as best we can tell, this is probably close to the midpoint of the tribulation. Revelation 8, in verse number 1, There was silence in the heaven about the space of half an hour, and I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. Verse 4, And the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God, out of the angel's hand. We don't have time to read the whole passage. But isn't it fascinating that in a time of great judgment, at what could very well be the midpoint of the tribulation, there is a pause, there is a silence, and what comes up before the throne of God? The prayers of the saints. Our prayers matter. God wants us to pray. God wants us to pray And yes, there are specific needs and wants that we have, and we need to ultimately pray in Jesus' name for the will of God, for God to do His will, but it just goes to show that the prayers of the saints are sweet-smelling offerings in the nostrils of our God. Does that not bring conviction that we should be a praying people? And in a time of incredible judgment upon the earth where there is quite likely a blasphemous idol placed in the temple and there is about ready to be judgment poured out on the earth like we've never seen before, this is just the beginning. We haven't even made it to the bull judgments and the trumpet judgments. 
And there's a pause in Revelation 8 for the prayers of the saints to come up before God. Does that not speak again to the grace and the mercy and the salvation and the redemption of our God? I, I, just, I just am overwhelmed by that passage that when we're reading judgment after judgment after judgment, we see that moment of the grace of God once again and the prayers of God's people come up before him. We must be a praying people. And we are in a day and age where we, we need the word of God. We need prayer. We need each other more than we ever have as we look at what's going on around us. But we'll have to stop there. I know it's going to take us a while to work through this, but uh, we're going to uh, stop here and uh, we'll close in prayer. We'll have our uh, last song, our closing song, our song of dedication and invitation. And then we look forward to hearing from a couple of our prospective members, from Brian and Star Purcell. We'll introduce them uh, here in just a couple moments. But let's close in prayer, and then we will go to our final song. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the privilege to look into your word. Lord, we look ahead and we see in the scriptures a little bit of revelation that you have given about what will happen in the future. But Lord, we look ultimately for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We listen for the trumpet, the voice of the archangel. Lord, we are sobered by the judgments. We see what's going on around and we have a good idea of what, what is coming just from the technology and the way the world is seemingly being prepared for the Antichrist and the false prophet. But Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on Thee and Lord, to follow You faithfully. And Lord, I pray that You will help us to be burdened once again for the lost and help us, Lord, to be a praying people, faithful and obedient people. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we'll have uh, Derek go ahead and come, and he'll lead us in 467. This will be our uh, closing song, uh, our benediction hymn, invitation hymn. 467, we'll stand and sing just stanza number one of 467 in our hymn books. As Derek comes and leads us. If you don't mind standing, 467, verse 1. Thank you.